Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Firefighters Podcast, where we seek to develop, inspire, and motivate the world of the emergency services operator through a series of wide-ranging conversations. Now, before we go any further, just hit that rate, follow, or subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to. It's a key performance indicator for us and helps us reach even more people. Now, here's what we've got for you today. Today, we are going to be going through another debrief. Now, a quick reminder, why are we doing this? Debriefing, or also known as operational learning, is an integral part of national operational guidance. The aim of this and the aim and desire of the podcast is an operational debrief that achieves continuous improvement in service delivery. We should think of these debriefs as a vehicle to identify new or emerging risks, monitor any trends, recommend remedial actions, and promote best practice and shared learning. We want everybody to get exposure to these, we want you to hear it, and we want you to learn from these. We want you to share these lessons. I would add, I am reading and learning of these as a student myself. We can never stop learning i'm far from any font of knowledge we are going to be going through the sequence of events bit by bit and then we're going to look to draw out lessons learned trying to keep it tight trying to keep it informative trying to keep it engaging so let's go for it so today's incident comes to us from south yorkshire fire and rescue this incident was at 56 hilltop crescent waterthorpe sheffield on the 1st of february 2008 at 20.33 hours on the 1st of February 2008, a call was received in fire control from a member of the public reporting a chimney fire at 56 Hilltop Crescent, Waterthorpe, Sheffield. The caller, when challenged by fire control as to the incident type, confirmed that this was a chimney fire, the predetermined attendance of which is one pump and appliance that was then mobilised. This appliance came from Aston Park and a second call was received within fire control before the appliance arrived. Two further calls were received after the arrival of the first appliance. At 20.35, Aston 1, with five riders, including the watch manager in charge, was mobilised from their base. The first appliance arrived to find members of the public gathered outside the property. A neighbour reported to the officer in charge that was a watch manager that there was a fire which could be seen through the back windows and that there was normally two or three people in the property. At 20.45, Firefighter 3 and Firefighter 4 sought to gain access into the property via the front door. This was through a small lean-to construction. Neither of them was able to get or stay close enough to the front door to use the breaking in gear, which they had taken with them. Instead, Firefighter 3 braced himself against the door and kicked open the inner main door to the property. The initial call was to a low-risk chimney that would be likely to require the use of self-contained breathing apparatus. And South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service policy also states that for the safety reasons, SCBA should not be donned en route to incidents. Now, this is one of those long-time contentious things we say. Got to keep your seatbelts on, on the road to jobs. You know what, I will, the podcast doesn't encourage people to do anything, but uh, we're going to put our BSS on route to jobs. I can only say from my personal experience, I've certainly done it for 14 years because we want to get there, we want to be ready to go. So therefore, on this particular one, it was only at this point was the incident that the Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 put on their SCBA. Now, having kicked in the front door, Firefighter 3 resumed his responsibilities as pump operator and breathing apparatus and control officer, now known as Operative BA Echo. Firefighter 3 and Watch Manager 1 collected SCBA tallies from the Firefighter 1 and Firefighter 2 as they set up BA Stage 1. At 2047, Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 approached the front door of the property and prior to entering, completed the following checks. They had sufficient air in their SCBA cylinders, water was available at the branch of these reels, and the branch could be changed from a jet pattern to a spray. Worth note at that point, great checks as you're going in. Yes, do you pre-entry, make sure you've got your supplementary air supply, make sure everything's working with the set, make sure you've got torch, make sure you've got comms, but also as you're approaching, make sure you've got water, make sure the spray pattern adjusts. You know, you're going to be going straight through the door, you might be hit with absolutely anything, be ready for that gas calling, be ready to adopt the position, so make sure it works. This is something I regularly see getting missed. So they then entered the property via the front door wearing SCBA and full personal protective equipment, which consisted of fire tuning over trials, gloves, flash hood and fire helmet. They took with them a hose or a jet laid out from first appliance 
They also took with them a thermal imaging camera and fireground pocket radio, which was carried by Firefighter 2. This fireground radio had been tested at the commencement of their duty shift. However, a radio check prior to entering the building did not take place. Firefighter 1 was the team leader and as such the first person through the door. These positions were maintained throughout the searches and firefighting as laid down in the procedures. Watch Manager 1 returned to the appliance to request further assistance from fire control. The property was heavily smoke-logged and grey smoke, but the temperature inside was described by Firefighter 2 as being cool. Now, 2047, due to the information being passed to Watch Manager 1 at the scene that there was a life risk and fire, his first message to fire control was make pumps 2. This is property involved ground floor involving two breathing apparatus committed. Offensive mode for persons reported. My personal thoughts at this point in time, make pumps 2 for, you know, property fire, potentially persons reported, and it's involved fire. I don't think 2 was going to be enough. The windows at the front of 56 Hilltop were all intact. There was a large amount of smoke at the rear of the property, which due to the effects of strong winds was being blown over the roof to the front of the property. The wind was swirling and the smoke was blowing around. There were no apparent signs of fire inside the house as viewed from the front. Smoke could also be seen issuing from the chimney flue on the roof. This was later to be confirmed as the flue from the gas fire in the living room from the property. At 2048, fire control dispatched appliance from Dharma 1 with crew manager, officer in charge of the appliance. Shortly after this point, SCBA crew exited and carrying a female casualty. Casualty was laid down on the driver of the property and Firefighter 4, assisted by the police officer in attendance, commenced resuscitation using fire service equipment. This resuscitation consisted of oxygen, chest compressions and automated electronic defibrillator AED. Meanwhile, Firefighter 1 and Firefighter 2 continued their search within the house for possible other persons missing. Firefighter 1 states that he could see, through his thermal imaging camera, heat from some pipes across the wall. Whilst the BA crew were in the property, Watch Manager 1 ran out a CAF system so that's compressed air foam hose line as a water covering jet. This was to be used at the front of the property if required. Now, although Watch Manager 1 had been told by the police constable in attendance that he had received information from neighbours indicating the property was occupied, Firefighter 1 and Firefighter 2 were unaware of this conversation. They made the decision to continue their search on the basis that the conditions seemed to be reasonable to them and they were independently both under the impression that further casualties may be inside. At 2048, an appliance from Darmal Road was mobilised as a second pump to the incident. Officer in charge was crew manager. At 2050, a further assistance message was transmitted from the watch manager in attendance, saying the paramedic was required. One casualty located in the property. Shortly after sending this message, watch manager one carried out an external check at the rear of the premise. So at this point, it looks like it's the first time they've had an opportunity to do a 360. Now... There's loads of different thought processes about this when you're first in attendance. Do you want to be disappearing around the back of properties? Do you want to be out of sight of your of your team if you're only one pump in attendance? When do you do it? Do you wait for your 2IC? It's a difficult decision, but at this moment, 2050 was the first time a 360 was carried out. Access to the rear of the building was difficult because the path on the left was restricted by a large quantity of refuse. He therefore chose to use an alternative route and travelled a total distance of approximately 70 metres from his position at the front to the rear of the building. It is worthy of note that it is subsequently possible in daylight for the investigation team to directly access the rear of the premises from the left-hand side of the premise over a small wall. But the area to the front of that wall was obstructed by a large amount of garden waste and obstacles. It would therefore have been difficult to have made use of this route during the incident in the dark. So as it kind of expands on there, 70 metres is a long way to travel all around the back of this property, but it's in the middle of the night, it's in the dark. You've got a female casualty lying on the driveway. So many things going through your head. Now, when he reached the rear of the building, the watch manager noted that the living room was smoke-filled with a fire towards the far end of the living room. Watch manager 1 observed that casement window to the living room was slightly ajar, 
and he stated that he could see into the kitchen through the window. 2053, on his return to the front of the property, watch manager one sensed something different about the fire. He recollected hearing a strange noise, not as serious as a gas explosion. While trying to revive the casualty, firefighter four heard a ping, ping sound, and then observed flames at the front windows. This was the first visible record of flames being observed at the front of the property. Police officers described the noise as a bang, an explosion and glass breaking, a smashing sound and the sudden surge of flames. At 20.54, the second appliance to arrive from DART was in attendance with four riders. Crew members from this appliance heard a message over the fireground radio held by the crew manager. During interviews, none of the crew was able to recall the precise wording. However, they suggested that it referred to some door being shut and that it could not be opened. Five out of five, a member of the DAR-1 crew, recalls hearing over the fireground radio that some firefighter or team of firefighters could not get out of the premises due to the door being shut. Crew manager one asked the sender to repeat the message as it was unclear who had sent it or in fact where they were located. Although all the crew of DAR-1 who heard it assumed it was from the SCBA crew. Crew manager one repeated this request for the message to be repeated several times as he walked towards the incident. Crew manager one asked watch manager if he had heard the message sent over the fireground radio. The watch manager responded that he had not. The only crew members to have fireground radios outside of the premise were Firefighters 3 and Watch Manager 1. Watch Manager 1 carried this radio in the pocket of his PPE with a microphone from that radio clipped to this tunic collar. Firefighter 3 had been heavily engaged in the resuscitation of the female casualty and in obtaining water supplies for SCBA crews. Due to the fast pace and critical activities in the developing fire situation, he had not had sufficient time to don his PPE and had placed his radio in his trouser pocket. It was at this point both Watch Manager 1 and Crew Manager 1 realised something was not right in the incident and made the decision to commit two more SCBA wearers. At 20.58, a priority message was transmitted by the Watch Manager to Fire Control. From AST 1, make pumps 3, 4BA committed, one casualty recovered, one person still reported. A quick reminder for all of our listeners of our monthly giveaway. Now, as part of our partnership with Hikes, Rosenbauer, and Tallyman, we give away that little bit extra to our podcast listeners every single month. You can get two personalized BA tallies. These are hard-wearing. They've got your own name on them, your own service number on them, and they have the podcast logo on the back. And then for the juicy stuff, Hikes give away a pair of their incredible footwear. And some of the stuff is pretty expensive stuff, to be honest with you. We try and switch it and change it every month. We are guided by the gods of Hikes to make sure we are giving you exactly what you need for that time of year. So it might be boots, it might be trainers and then once every quarter our good friends over at Rosenbauer are giving away their Boris B5 Firefine boots as well so to be in with a chance to win jump over to our social media platforms or YouTube where you need to tag a member of the emergency services in the post be following our page and you will be in with a chance to win at the end of every single month back to the show at 2101 a further assistance message from AST1 was transmitted be a emergency distressed to wearer make pumps for shortly after at 2054 DAR-1's SCBA team Firefighter 6 and Firefighter 5 unsuccessfully attempted to enter the premises via the front door. They had the cast branch with them to deliver water. The heat was so intense that it caused blistering to Firefighter 6's helmet. Firefighter 2 heard a gushing noise and observed through the thermal imaging camera that a heat wave moving and being pulled down the stairs. Firefighter 1 pulsed the hose reel jet towards the heat but with no noticeable effect. Firefighter 1 shouted to Firefighter 2 to put the thermal imaging camera in front of him so he could use it to see the flames. This happened and Firefighter 1 then continued to pulse water into the heat layer. The temperature then increased very rapidly. At this point, Firefighter 1 said to Firefighter 2 that they should get out of the property. Firefighter 1 tried to open the front door but was unable to do so. They had retreated to the kitchen, crouching low to try and avoid the heat. A message was sent by Firefighter 2 on his fireground radio to open the door. Firefighter 2 started getting soaked by water from the outside calf's branch. Firefighter 1 shouted for them to stop. 
This instruction was not heard by the two firefighters outside using the CAFS branch. Firefighter 2 then set off his distress signal unit, DSU, and sent a message using the radio he was carrying distressed aware. They went back to the front door at least twice, but failed to open it, each time returning to the kitchen. One of these occasions, Firefighter 1 said that he saw someone outside the door and shouted to them. He received a reply that they were unable to get to him, and he was unable to verify who it was that replied. As Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 moved back into the kitchen, it would appear that at this point in time, Firefighter 1 found the kitchen window and made attempts to break through it. On the outside of the building, Firefighter 5 heard somebody shouting and thought it was possibly coming from the kitchen area. On reaching the kitchen window, Firefighter 5 made the decision to smash it, quite independently of Firefighter 1's effort from the inside. During this action, Firefighter 5 heard a voice from inside but could not make out what it said. Firefighter 5 reached inside and grabbed for Firefighter 1 but could not hold on to him. It was unclear what exactly happened next, but it would appear that statements from Firefighter 5 had moved to his right towards the front door to get help. As this was happening, Firefighter 1 exited the kitchen via the broken kitchen window, which was situated above the kitchen worktop at the front of the property. He fell approximately 1 meter to the ground and outside the building. Firefighter 2 then shouted to Firefighter 1 that he was really burning and couldn't follow. Firefighter 1 climbed back into the kitchen so as not to leave his colleague alone. Firefighter 1 remembers seeing a light shining through the kitchen window, so he climbed back up and out of the second time to safety. It is believed that the light was attached to Firefighter 5's tunic as he returned to the window to make a second attempt at rescue. Firefighter 2 appears to have been unaware that Firefighter 1 has climbed out again to safety. Firefighter 2 go back to the front window for one more attempt to escape and to get help from his partner. This time he managed to open the door and crawled out and was assisted clear from the building by crew manager. Both firefighters came out of the property within seconds of each other. At 21.05, a further assistance message was transmitted. Watch manager 1, can you tell me how many ambulances you have been mobilised? Fire control replied, believe 1, how many are required? Watch manager 1 in turn answered, AST 1, two more ambulances required as two firefighters are badly burnt. At 21.06, the third appliance to arrive booked in attendance. Because of the delay in mobilising the appliance, fire control mobilised Mansfield 2. The officer in charge was a watch manager. At 21.10, the set was removed from one of the firefighters recovered from the house. This fire kit was removed by one of the police members with the help of a second. A local resident brought out buckets of water, which were then poured slowly over the burns. Firefighter 2 had his fire kit removed by other crew members and was called initially by a hoser or jet, then by water provided by another neighbour. He was then transported to hospital via our land ambulance. At 21.12, the fourth appliance arrived and booked in attendance. A further informative message transmitted from the scene, two firefighters injured, now receiving first aid from police and paramedics. One casualty removed from the building, still personal supported, crews are in defensive mode. The fifth appliance to arrive at the scene had a watch manager in charge and four riders. A radio message was transmitted by the crew manager from DAR1 saying that a group manager was also now in attendance at 2131 and the incident had been taken over. The group manager remained in charge until the conclusion of the incident. At 2133, an informative message was transmitted by DAR1 from the crew manager to inform fire control that further SCBA wearers were committed for post-accident activities and to extinguish the fire. From group manager, 4BA now in use, firefighters taken to hospital in defensive mode. At 21.56, some 23 minutes later, a message from fire control by a mobile telephone from an area manager, both firefighters now transported to Northern General Hospital. That brings us to the end of the sequence of events. First thing now, we're going to review some accident investigation summaries from it. 
Now, first, it's worth knowing that in addition to the accident investigation, a separate fire investigation was conducted, its purpose being to identify the cause of the fire and to produce any findings in the report, primarily in relation to the member of the public who died in the fire. The content of the fire investigation report provides useful contextual information with regard to the accident of the firefighters as well. The victim of the fire itself was a heavy smoker and the fire investigation concluded that the fire started in the lounge of the property, most probably as a result of carelessly discarded cigarette causing the subsequent ignition of other combustible materials. There are several very poignant points in the summary of the accident investigation, and we're just going to pull a few of them out. Now, both injured firefighters 1 and firefighter 2 suffered burns to the upper torso, limbs and hands whilst fighting the firefighter. Firefighter 1's injuries were very serious, suffering approximately 35% burns, which subsequently required several skin grafts to his stomach, hands, arms and back. Firefighter 2's injuries were moderate to severe, with an estimated 12% full thickness burns to his hands, arms and back, which subsequently required skin grafts. The injuries sustained by the female were fatal. Life was pronounced extinct by a doctor at Sheffield Northern General Hospital at 22.07 on the night of the incident. Again, there are several more points in terms of training, policies, procedures, mobilizations and PPE, but we're just going to cover off a few of the point you want in here. Firstly, in terms of backdraft and flashovers. Now, the fire phenomenon experienced by Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 has not been definitively classified. However, it is worthy of note that two of the most widely recognised phenomenon backdraft and flashover are the subjects of a South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service operational procedure. These firefighting techniques are a standard element of the continuous risk-critical training undertaken by the members of the South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service and firefighters all across UK Fire and Rescue Service. Training records for the injured parties themselves and for the incident commander were examined and they show that they were deemed competent in accordance with the statutory and local requirements that were recorded on the system in service. The incident commander's training records were particularly examined with regard to incident command and resolving operational incidents. It is confirmed that he has recently completed an incident command course and was fully competent at time of the incident. It was found that both injured firefighters have undergone training in BA to the required level and both have trained in tackling a compartment fires which include the recognition of signs and symptoms of flashover and backdraft. Now next we're going to cover a little bit about the jammed front door. Now at the time that Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 first sought to exit from the premises, they were impeded by the front door being jammed. They subsequently made further unsuccessful attempts to exit through the front door. It was not until they had been subjected to extreme heat exposure that Firefighter 1 was able to make his final exit through the kitchen window and Firefighter 2 was able to finally open the front door and make his exit. Now because the front door played such a significant role in delaying Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1's escape from the property, the investigation team particularly scrutinised the door and door frame after the incident. In doing so, they took with them the actual hose reel jet tubing that had been used at the incident. The hose reel jet tubing is approximately 20mm in diameter and is made of fabric, braiding and vulcanised rubber. The wall of the tubing itself is resilient and therefore is resistant to collapse. And this is a case even when there is no water in the tubing. Now if a hose reel jet was normally passing through a doorway and attempts were made to close the door, the hosel jet will normally tend to prevent the full closure. Now, when the investigation team visited the premises after the incident, they laid the hosel jet against the lower end of the door frame, not the hinged end. They noted that there was an area of missing plaster. That portion of missing plaster married up closely with the position where Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1's hosel jet is likely to have been laid. At the time of the investigation team's visit, the front door had been removed from its hinges, but was laying close by. They therefore re-hung the door and slammed it closed with the hose jet in position. The hose jet naturally took up its position in the indentation formed by the missing plaster and the door consequently jammed on the hose reel. 
The investigation team then attempted to pull the door open and they eventually managed to do so from that position but with some considerable difficulty. Because of that position, the jamming effect of the hosier was severe and they had real difficulty in grasping the door. That low position is likely to have been roughly the position from where Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 would have tried to open the door during the incident. Now, as we said earlier in conclusion of the accident investigation, the fire in Hilltop Crescent is most likely to have been initiated in the ground floor lounge by carelessly discarded smoking materials, probably a cigarette. It was reasonable for the person initially calling the fire service to assume that the incident was a chimney fire by virtue of the fact that smoke was issuing from the flue at the roof of the property. It was equally reasonable that therefore the fire service controlled to mobilise resources on the basis of a low-risk chimney fire. However, during the mobilisation process, fire control staff challenged callers in an appropriate manner to establish the exact nature of the incident. Once again, it is fantastic to acknowledge the incredible work that our fire control staff do. They really are masters at this. Scrutinising, challenging, open, closed questions, they will drag that crucial information out of people to make sure we get the right resources there. It is then worth noting that it was entirely appropriate for crew members to make their plans whilst en route to the incident based upon the expectation that they were attending a chimney fire. Given that the crew expected to be attending a chimney fire, it was entirely appropriate that they had not donned respiratory protective equipment prior to the arrival at the incident. On arrival at the incident, the incident commander and his crew were faced with a dynamic and developing fire situation with persons reported. A situation made all the more pressured for them by virtue of the expectation that were attending a low-risk chimney fire. This was a highly challenging incident command scenario in that within a highly truncated time frame, the officer in charge had been expected to be dealing with a chimney fire was in fact faced with a developing fire situation. There were persons reported with rescues taking place and breathing apparatus was committed. Within that very difficult context, Watch Manager 1 managed the incident in a competent manner, made plans using the incident command model and deployed breathing apparatus controls in a procedure and a manner that were appropriate. It was also entirely appropriate to deploy BA into a premises given that fire development did not appear excessively advanced at the time in question, and given that neighbours had given a firm indication that persons were reported and being inside the premises. The appropriateness of that decision was a course then further pinned by the fact they did in fact make a rescue of their casualty. Now, as we spoke about earlier, the incident commander only carried out a restricted 360 reconnaissance during the early stages of the incident. However, that approach was unavoidable and appropriate in the circumstances that it was a dynamic incident, topography of the fire ground was challenging, and there was restrictions to the access to the rear of the property. Having assessed the situation and having appreciated that they were facing a developing fire with persons reported, the watch manager 1 made an early and entirely appropriate request for additional resources and made further requests as the incident developed thereafter. Having rescued a casualty from the kitchen of the premises, Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 made an entirely professional judgment to continue searching for other persons believed to still be unaccounted for. It's worth pausing at that point and acknowledging the heroism of those two individuals. Nobody would have questioned their decision to stay out having been in an intense fire and made a rescue. The decision to recommit was done so in a bold, professional and competent manner. The fire phenomenon which was descended upon the stairwell above Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 developed following fire spread from the ground to first floor. However, it is not possible to be specific about the nature or classification of that phenomenon. It's normal practice to fight similar types of fire phenomenon by kneeling and pulsing with a 35 degree coned spray into the ceiling gas layer, also known as gas cooling, whilst retreating to an exit point. Such tactics were in fact deployed by Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 and were entirely appropriate in a scenario where the fire was developing very fast. As we said in the breakdown, the only crew members to have fire ground radios outside the premises were Firefighter 3 and Watch Manager 1. Watch Manager 1 carried his radio in his pocket of his PPE, with a microphone from that radio clipped to his tunic collar. 
Firefighter 3, however, had been heavily engaged in the resuscitation of the female casualty and in obtaining swap supplies for their CBO crews. Due to the fast pace of these critical activities in a developing fire situation, he had not had sufficient time to don his PPE and had placed his radio in his trouser pocket. For these reasons, neither of them heard the radio message of distress from Firefighter 2. Again, it's worth pausing there, having been a driver for over a decade myself. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You know, you're getting there, you're the only person without your kit on because you're not allowed to drive in it and you're jumping off straight into the action. Stuff is coming from everywhere. You might be asked to control the public. You might be asked to get the water in. You might be asked to go and grab a feed. Your command support, your entry control, you are absolutely everything. I have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody that chooses to drive a fire appliance. In many services in the UK Fire and Rescue Service, they are not paid extra to do so. And it is a hell of a task that requires a massive amount of competence and self-awareness. Some more respect goes to this individual and anybody else that does that role. Testing was undertaken later and they found there was no faults in the radios and their ability to transmit or receive. In the report, it states that during the deployment in breathing apparatus, Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1 were faced with an increasingly frightening and painful situation. However, having successfully rescued deceased 1, they selflessly continued searching for other casualties. And once they had found themselves in a life-threatening situation, they continued to support each other. In all of these respects, they both displayed markedly courageous and professional conduct in the best traditions of the fire and rescue service. Firefighter 2 and Firefighter 1's self-egress from the building was seriously compromised by a jammed front door. This appears to have been caused by the door closing forcibly upon the hose of jet as we've already covered. There were several pieces of recommendation made from the outcome of 56 Hilltop Crescent Waterthorpe Sheffield and a piece of research work was commissioned to learn more about the fire phenomenon with the purpose being to offer up that research to an appropriate body to inform future equipment designs. Guidance was reviewed for the risk-critical information system for the adherence to things such as securing of access and egress routes at operational incidents. So it's worth always considering when you're committing a BA crew, what is their alternate egress? If they're going to a first floor, are you getting a ladder straight up? If they're going in the front door, can they get out the back? So folks, that brings us to the end of our debrief on the investigation into the cause of the accident of 56 Hilltop Crescent. Some great learnings from that one. Some great heroic and courageous actions by the crews. And a reflection of the service themselves, and even my personal opinion, the decisions and decision-making process the incident commander was very commendable. So be sure to come back soon for another debrief. If you have a noteworthy incident that you would like sharing with the rest of the world and the UK Fire and Rescue Service, be sure to send it in, thefirefactspodcast at gmail.com. If you've got an absolute gold mine case study in your files, if you've got it tucked away on your hard drive somewhere, be sure to send it over to thefirefirespodcast at gmail.com. We will, of course, if people would like us to, we'll be acknowledging those that send these contributions in so they can share it with the wider world. And again, our sincere desire is to create better educated, more informed, safer operating UK fire and rescue service operators and people from the other aspects of the emergency services. We want you to know this. These misunderstandings, these different interpretation of risks, these have happened before in the past so let's not repeat them let us know what you think let us know what you thought of it if there was too much detail if there wasn't enough detail what could make this debrief even better for you and more impactful for you and your teams thanks for coming back and listening to the firefighters podcast this one was brought to you by William Wood Watches William Wood Watches as I'm sure you're already aware are the makers of those incredibly authentic watches with a piece of firefighting history in every single one on the 9th of June they created 250 beautiful limited edition pieces of the bravest watch for the FDMY foundation they're donating 15% from every single watch 
to the FDNY Foundation, and it's pretty incredible to see that William Wood watches are now in the Rockefeller Center, the FDNY Fire Zone store that's held within Rockefeller Center on the 9th of June. They will be having one of their watches, which is going to press William Wood watches into the history of FDNY. Johnny and the team are over there kicking ass and taking names. Be sure to join them on their journey. Head over to WilliamWoodWatches.com. Check them out on Instagram. Check them out on YouTube. You can check all of their watches right there from the Jubilee to the Triumph to the Valium to the Bronze to the Chivalrous and they run competitions supporting firefighters charities all over the world including the firefighters charity in the UK. So once again thanks for coming back to the firefighters podcast. Go and check out Wood Watches. Go and check us out on YouTube. Subscribe if you're listening on Spotify. If you're listening on one of those platforms. Followers. Raters. Thanks for coming back and we look forward to seeing you again real soon right here on the firefighters podcast. Thank you.